0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to TrinityPR.org Hey, um... Good morning Trinity. So I am Ronnie Garcia and today is Palm Sunday. It's the day in which we commemorate the moment that Jesus enters Jerusalem like a victorious king to the shouts of Hosanna in the highest, right? And as we know, the following Friday, which we call Good Friday, the king is crowned with thorns and then he is crucified. Now, We can't have an ordinary Good Friday service, Um, but I want to use this sermon to carefully consider the final words from Jesus from the cross. See, without the cross, there would be nothing to celebrate next Sunday, right? In order to have a resurrection, there must be a crucifixion first. So uh, that's what I want to explore with you as we finish up our sermon series this morning. Now, during the life of Jesus, he went from town to town teaching about the kingdom of God, right? And he would teach usually using stories about ordinary people, using parables. Um, Now, though, at the cross, as he's hanging there, Jesus is still teaching us, but there is no time for stories, He teaches us with brief and desperate utterances. He he teaches us with cries of pain. See, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last breath. And then in in Matthew's Gospel, it says, And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, in both of those accounts, the author tells us that Jesus is saying something really desperate. I mean, that's, what, that's why he's crying out, right? But only in Luke's gospel, Luke, who's always giving us so much detail, only Luke tells us precisely what Jesus desperately cried out. And it says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, I want you to think about this with me. If you knew that this were the very last hour of your life, I mean, what would you say? Who who would you speak to? See, because you can't just put off what's what's on your mind, right? There's no time. See, if you only have one hour left, you have got to focus your attention. You have to pick your words carefully. And this is what Jesus did. This morning, we're going to consider the very last words of our Savior before he died on the cross. So let's turn our attention to the passage, and then we're going to study this passage in three ways. If if you're a note-taker, right, we're going to look at the context of Jesus's last words, and then we're going to look at the protest in Jesus's last words. And then finally, we're going to conclude with the response to Jesus's last words. So the context, the protest, and the response to Jesus's last words. Uh, if, you'll, if you have your bulletins there um, or your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to begin in verse 44. Hear now the word of God. I would normally ask you to stand, but I would just ask you to listen reverently. Then, uh, let me get to chapter 23. Here we go. (laughs) It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. All right, kids, what do I say? The grass withers, the flower fades, but not God's word. It endures forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. Amen. Now, many of you, uh, you know that I grew up in Texas. Now, I know that it is really hot here in Puerto Rico, but from personal first-hand experience, the summers in Texas are far more hot than anything we experience here in San Juan. That hot Texas sun is brutal. Now, when I was a kid, at noon, when the, when the sun is directly overhead, I would take a magnifying glass, right, adults. Y'all know what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say here. Take a magnifying glass. I'll concentrate the sun's rays, and what I do? I would literally start fires, all right? Children, don't, don't try this at home, and I've been cured of this. My therapist said I'm good to go, all right? So uh, what a pyromaniac I was. I'm fine now, but listen. I'm kidding, but listen. Everyone knows at noon, right? The sun is directly overhead. Well, Luke, the author, he knows this too, and so he tells us the context of Jesus's last words, right? In verse 44, look there, he tells us that it was the sixth hour, okay? That just means noon. But at noon, when, when the sun should be bright and overhead, Luke tells us that, verse 45, the sun's light failed. And so this is the context Now, perhaps you have read past that because you thought Luke was was just artistically adding some ominous foreshadowing. Not at all. In the Old Testament, and especially in the prophets, they often talk about the sun going dark. We see this over a dozen times. Let me just give you one example. For instance, in the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, every time the sun is referenced as going dark, it's associated with judgment. Sometimes it's called the day of visitation or the day of the Lord or the day of judgment or maybe even just the last day. But this day of reckoning is always connected with the sun going dark. Now, Luke, the author, he's dialed into this. And so what is happening then at the cross? The judgment day has come early, except there's only one difference. Only one person is being judged, and that one person is innocent. Listen, there there are crowds and crowds of bloodthirsty, guilty people, but they don't get judgment. Only Jesus does. What does this mean? It means that as we read these sacred words, you and I can't just look back at this event as if we're people just reading a history book, right? We are not disconnected from this moment of history. This, this isn't just a, an unfortunate event that happened to a really good rabbi who just got the short end of the stick, right? Right? Jesus' death on the cross is not just an example of courage from a good person. And Jesus is not just being a role model for us. See, the context includes the sun going dark. It is judgment day for all people everywhere. And yet, only Jesus gets God's wrath. Jesus didn't stumble onto this day. He is not an unfortunate victim. See, he put himself on that cross so that there would be a judgment day before the judgment day. And if you can't understand that, you can't understand Christianity. I, I don't care how many times you've gone to church, right? If your understanding of Christianity has something to do with national politics, then you are actually missing the whole point. Christianity is fundamentally about a king who lived the life that you should have lived and then took judgment day upon himself by dying a death that you deserved in your place. And and if that is not the fundamental filter by which you understand and understand Christianity and everything we're doing right now, then you cannot and do not know what Christians believe. So the dark sun is the context of Jesus' death. But let's go a little bit further. Let's look more carefully at what's behind the words when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, some of you uh, probably remember this old prayer, but if you don't, certainly your parents or your grandparents do. But people used to teach this old prayer to their children. uh, They they would teach it to them to recite it right before they go to bed. And it goes something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray Thee, Lord my soul to take. Do you remember that old prayer? It's a simple prayer of confidence that's actually based on Jesus's final words. Now, that prayer, it sounds peaceful, doesn't it? I, uh, I personally think the prayer is a little bit Gnostic. I'm not going to get into that right now. But uh, more interestingly, I wonder if it actually just misses a bit of the defiance in Jesus's words. When Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is anything but peaceful There is defiance and protest in his voice. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he is defying God. No, he is defying death. Jesus is angry at death. Now, follow me on this, all right? So prior to this final utterance, right, we learned two weeks ago, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And by calling God, God, right, that's actually fairly formal coming out of Jesus' mouth because Jesus usually refers to God as what? My Father. Now, in these last moments, these very last moments before his death, our sin, right, theologically we understand this, is upon Jesus— And this means then that the fellowship of God the Father has indeed abandoned Jesus. Jesus is all alone on the cross. There there is this mysterious breach in the Godhead, in the Trinity, something that has never happened in eternity past and something that will never again happen in the life of the Godhead, of the Trinity. But right as he is about to breathe his final breath, Jesus musters up all the air that he can and he calls God Father once again father, my my spirit is yours right now how could Jesus say something like this he's been abandoned on the cross and yet by calling God his Father by using that title again, he is protesting death he is angry at death now if you um If you were to read all the Gospels very carefully, you would notice that there is this echo to a famous story in Genesis. Do you remember that story in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac? So Isaac, right, Isaac doesn't know what's going on. He grabs all the wood that's used, that's going to be used to sacrifice him, and he carries that that wood up the mountain, right? Right? Are y'all seeing seeing any parallels? So Isaac is carrying on his back the wood for his own sacrifice. I mean, who, who does that remind you of, right? It's Jesus, of course. Now, this is the question that I have. How could Abraham obey such an unthinkable commandment to sacrifice his own son? Well, what we learn in the book of Hebrews is that Abraham knew that God could be trusted on his promise. See, God promised Abraham that he would use Isaac to make a whole nation of people. And so if God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it's because God would raise him from the dead or or something like that. So God's got to make this thing work, right? So Abraham was like, I don't know how God is going to work this out but he will. There's no doubt in my mind that God is 100% trustworthy. He never, his promises never fail. They never fail. Now, with that echo, let's consider Jesus. Our sin, right, is what, what theologians say is imputed to Jesus and Jesus is abandoned. And yet, in that moment, with no traces of God's presence, he still believes. By commending his spirit to his father, it's as if he were saying, I don't know how my father's going to do it, but he is 100% trustworthy. His promises never fail. It doesn't matter to me that when I look around, I see no traces of my father because I know, because I know that this is not the last final Chapter, death does not ultimately win. Father, here's my spirit. Take it, he utters. Jesus' words from the cross are a faithful and courageous protest of sorts. His conviction is undeterred. In some ways, this final cry of Jesus invites us into his confidence, into his conviction. C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, he imagines an older demon giving advice to a younger demon who's his nephew. So I want you to kind of listen into this imaginary conversation, the words of the older demon, right, speaking to his nephew, right, the younger demon, about his enemy, and of course the enemy here being God. Listen, this is what he says. Be not deceived, young wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon the, the universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Church. When we look around our country, we might be seduced into thinking that God is abandoning us. COVID 19, sickness, stock markets, unemployment, recession. Do not be fooled. God works especially in these moments, and your faith and your conviction is like a protest to death. This week, we call it Holy Week, and it ends in death, but we know what's coming next week, don't we, right? Do not underestimate our Heavenly Father, May your white-hot faith be a protest against all the things that want to rob you of joy, of all those things that aim to leave you desperate. Listen, as you're listening to me, even from your living room, if that is you, allow the courageous protest in Jesus' heart. In the face of death and abandonment, stir your affections let us stir your love for him, for Jesus, and let that love move from your brain, from your head, to your heart. Let me just conclude the sermon with uh, my, just, my final point here, and thank you so much for your attention. I know sermons can be hard online. But first, we looked, of course, at the context of Jesus' last words from the cross, and then we looked And I considered the protest in Jesus's final words. Let me just finish and conclude by considering the response to Jesus's final words. So what happens in the text immediately following Jesus's cries, it's really astounding. So Luke tells us that when the centurion saw Jesus breathe his last breath, right? When he saw Jesus die... He praised God because, he says, in his own words, certainly this man was innocent. Does anyone see anything weird about that? Right? I mean, Jesus dies, and the centurion is praising God because he was innocent. What in the world is happening? Well, the author... Luke, he records people praising God in this way, using that phrase six different times in the gospel. And every time that Luke uses that phrase, the commentaries will tell you that it means that the person was converted, all right? The centurion's response means that he gave his life to the man, who's hanging on the cross, right? right. Now, this is astounding. How come? Because a few hours earlier, this centurion was gambling with his buddies, hoping to score Jesus' tunic and sandals. But now, after having watched Jesus speak those words of faithful protest on the cross, and then give up his last breath and die, in that moment, the centurion is converted. Why? It's because all the details are starting to add up for the centurion. Jesus was silent before his accusers. He's silent as he's beaten. He's compassionate with the thief who's hanging on the cross right beside him. He's faithful in the face of cosmic abandonment from his father. And Jesus, although he is completely innocent, he does not even have a chip on his shoulder. And the centurion, he evaluates all of this information, he realizes, he's like, my goodness, I know, I know how this finishes, right? He, he really is the king. I have to, I must praise God. See, this man did not let all of that information stay in his head, right? It dropped 10 inches, and it, and it went into it and took over his heart. He worshiped. He doesn't want Jesus' tunic and sandals He wants Jesus' blood. He wants Jesus himself. And guess what? He gets him. The centurion gets him. Do you know Jesus like the centurion does? Or do you just want his tunic and sandals? Do you want something from Jesus? Jesus. The response of the centurion to Jesus' last breath is supposed to make you make me examine ourselves. Are you using Jesus for a tunic? Listen, because the COVID crisis, right, it's taking everything away from us. It's stripping all these things that we wanted. It's stripping them away. Are you mad about it? Do you have a chip on your shoulder? Or do you believe Would you consider praying this prayer just like Jesus? Heavenly Father, into your hands, I commit my dreams. I commit my desires. I commit my loves and longings. I commit my fears. I commit my life. I commit my spirit. Amen. Would you consider praying that? Listen, next week is Easter. Let's prepare our hearts now to experience the joy of resurrection. Let Jesus do business with us because Jesus was right. Through the death of Jesus, death itself is defeated. Come back next Sunday. Join us next Sunday, Easter Sunday, to learn more about how Amen. Now normally I would end a sermon at the Lord's table and we would have a feast together and just celebrating God's goodness together. We don't, we can't do that right now, but here's what I want you to do is I don't want you to let this moment pass. Don't, don't just listen to a sermon looking for a little bit of inspiration. Don't, don't, don't look for a quick fix. I want you to let God's words kind of seep into your soul. Would you... Would you just like pray them deep in your soul? Would you take a moment to just deal with Jesus? We're gonna have a moment of reflection and we're just asking God to really meet us through his word right now. If uh, if you just clicked in with us uh, this morning, we're so glad to have you. We are just thrilled um, that you would find us on YouTube. God bless YouTube, I guess. Here we are. We're Trinity Church. We are located in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We're not an online service. We have an online service, but we are a people, and we want to love each other and serve each other, and we would love for you to join us. And uh, if you're not getting our emails regularly— and the devotionals and all that, I would just invite you to send a quick email to jeff at trinitypr.org. Um, also there is no offering basket to pass around in your living room. We would ask that you would look at the link below or in the bulletin on ways to give. Uh, remember giving is what Christians do and um, and we just want to invite you into that um, into that discipline if you will. So do it joyfully of course and um, and thank you for your love and your support and your faithfulness to Christ and his church. Um, Now listen, this Friday is Good Friday, and we don't have um, a Good Friday service, and we normally would have one. Here's what we're going to do at 4 p.m. on Friday on this channel. Please return to this channel. We're going to have a short—I'm going to give a short talk, and uh, there's not going to be prayers, there's not going to be any worship. It's just a talk, and the idea is I want to just think out loud with you what the crucifixion can mean to modern people, maybe people who don't believe or maybe people don't think that has any import. So would you, we're going to send out, you know, advertisements. Oh, that's a weird way of saying it. But notes just reminding us of this opportunity. It's to be about 25 minutes. And uh, we just want you to invite a friend to watch it with you, right? Virtually, social distancing, everyone. Watch it and let's talk about it. Let it provoke new conversation. What could a crucifixion 2,000 years ago find, like, what relevance would that be? How do we know that we're loved? Isn't that a big question that we have? I want to dig into that with you, and it would be a really safe place to just invite a new friend to just think about these things with you, with us. So, Friday, dial in at 4 p.m., and then, of course, we'll leave it up after that. And then, lastly, just a benediction. All right, I want to bless you. All right, how does this work? You hold out your hands, and I pray God's blessing over you. Would you do that? All right, hold out your hands. It's awkward, I know it. I see you, Joe Nelson. Hold him out. I'm just kidding. All right. Love you, buddy. Here we are. May God the Father, who holds the very Spirit of Jesus, right, who, whose soul was come in, who took it, may God the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Trinity, you are dismissed. God bless you.